was a time in my life when I showed love to my friends by helping them sin better. I mean, I'd help anybody sin, but if you were my friend, I'd get you the hookup on some sin. I mean, if I, if I called you a friend, I mean, I'd, I'd give you a, a good deal on some sin. I'd help you sin just as best as I could. And that's how I showed you that I loved you, was by leading you into destruction. I showed my friends how much I cared about them by dragging them further and further and further away from God. I was one of those that called evil good and good evil. Light, darkness, and darkness, light, bitter, sweet, and sweet, bitter. It's in Isaiah 520, in case you're wondering where that scripture is. That was me. But that verse starts with, woe to me. And you know what? Woe to me. Because I did it a bunch of times. I lived my whole life like that. And, and I thought that I was really loving people. I had no idea what it meant to love somebody. I had no idea what it really meant to even have a friend or be a friend because I was so infested with sin myself. I thought everybody else needed to be too, I guess. I remember one incident where I, I had these friends and they didn't have any place to go. And uh, one of them's grandma said, hey, you can come stay with me. But if you're going to come stay with me, you have to go to church on Sunday. And I remember thinking that was the most awful thing that I had ever heard. I remember thinking, like, like, how dare you blackmail these people that just need some help? You know, here these folks are, and they're just coming to you for help, and here you are blackmailing them and forcing your religion on them just because they ain't got no place to go. And I really believed that. And I didn't realize that at the time that this was a grandma's last-ditch effort, the only weapon that she had to try to love them and try to, in, try to in, introduce them to the only one that could save them and change their lives. And, but, but evil good and good evil, right? And I was trapped in that, and I didn't know any better. I remember one night when we were out doing our thing and staying up all night and partying and doing whatever, and they were like, hey, man, we got to go. You know, we got to get, get home and kind of get cleaned up and focused so we can go to church in the morning. And I was like, what? Man, she ain't going to do nothing. Just stay here, party with us. She's not, not going to make y'all leave because you missed church one time. It's fine. Guess what? Next day, they were out on the street. You know whose fault that was? My fault. My fault. Because I thought that good was evil and evil was good. Because you know what? The enemy's good at his game. He's good at his game. Like, we're not playing, uh, we're, not, we're not going to war here with somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. You know, we're not in a battle here against some enemy that doesn't have any idea on how to tempt us and how to defeat us. No, like I preached about one time last year, man, he's got a scouting report on you. He knows exactly what it'll take to get you. He knows what your strengths are, and he avoids those. He knows what your weaknesses are, and you know what? He digs into those. He's good at his game. But you know what? As good as he, as he is at his game, at the end of the day, when the smoke settles and the dust clears, he still loses. Can you say amen? Because as good as he is, God is still better. And I want him to know today that he's lost this game piece off his board. I'm no longer a pawn in the enemy's game of darkness. Now I'm a knight for the forces of light. Can you say amen? I mean, can you give God praise for that this morning? If you don't play those games anymore? No, I want to know this. I want to know this. If you used to be a pawn in the devil's hand and play his game, but you're not anymore because you knocked that piece right off his board, I want you to lift your hand up big and high so everybody can see. I want you to look around at the miracles of God that are right here in this place today.
Look around. No, leave, leave them up. Leave them up. Look around. Everyone a testimony. Everyone a testimony. Every person in here, a recipient of the blood and the power and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen and give him some praise this morning? And that's not even what I'm preaching about today. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? He is good, isn't he? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> you better believe I will. You better believe I will. I'm in the book of Mark today in chapter 2. I love the book of Mark. Let me tell you why. Because there's no genealogies. Thank God. There's no Christmas story. There's just, hey, look, it's Jesus. And he starts doing stuff. Right? Book of Mark, he's just like, it's all about action. I'm an action-packed guy, in case y'all haven't noticed. I'd rather just do stuff. Book of Mark is very cool. Book of Mark, chapter 2, the Bible says this. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together. So many people gathered together that there was no more room. Not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. Wouldn't it be good... Wouldn't it be good if there was just such a desire for the word of God that there was just no more room? I mean, not even in the doorway. I mean, just a desire for the word of God. You know why people flocked to Jesus besides the fact that he was the son of God? Because they didn't even realize that at this time. Because he was real. Because he was authentic. Because he was full of truth and grace and there wasn't no lies or judgment in him. Does that make sense? And they were drawn to him. And I want him to be drawn to us in the same way. They came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home immediately say immediately because sometimes you have to wait for it and sometimes you don't that's right sometimes you don't sometimes you have to wait for it sometimes you immediately he got up took his mat and went out in front of everyone don't you think it's interesting that he walked right out the way that he couldn't get in because God makes a way where there's no way he splits that red sea so you can walk through on dry land he breaks the walls of Jericho down to the ground with a song. Can somebody say amen? That's not what I'm preaching about either. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. God, we come to you today praising your holy name, worshiping you in the spirit and the truth. I pray that after we encounter you, that we go to the whole world saying, world, 
We ain't never seen nothing like this. Lord, we invite your presence in here today that you would change lives and save souls, that you would break chains and open doors, that you would heal wounds and promise eternity in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we give God a shout of praise at the Way Church this morning? Have you got friends like this? I mean, I just need to know, do you? Have you got friends like this? I'm talking about friends that know where you need to go and friends that are willing to do whatever it takes to get you there. That's the kind of friends that we need. Not friends that are taking us away from God. Friends that are leading us to God. Because let me tell you this. Anything that leads you away from God is a curse. And anything that draws you to God is a blessing. Now, that may get discombobulated in some of you's mind because sometimes it's the things that feel the best that are the biggest curse in your life. And sometimes it's the things that feel the worst that turns out to be the biggest blessing. Because anything, no matter what it is, no matter how much the world celebrates it, no matter how much pleasure it brings you, if it drags you away from God, it's a curse. It's a curse. And anything... No matter how bad it hurts, and no matter how much pain it brings you, and no matter how much the rest of the world looks down on it, if it brings you to Jesus, then it was a blessing. Can you say amen? Like, I know people that have suffered more than most of us could ever even imagine, and they count, as a, ble- they count as a blessing because it drew them to the feet of Jesus. And I know some folks that have never really experienced any pain in their life, that have just had blessing after blessing after blessing that don't know God. And all those things that they call blessings in their life are curses because they draw them away from God. But man, if you've got friends that'll, that know you need to get to God and will do whatever it takes to get you there. Now, one of the most beautiful things that I see in this church is this, is when someone that you know really well, somebody that's close to somebody else will, okay, let me put a disclaimer on here. Do not do this to people you don't know because it's just weird. But when there's somebody that's close to you, somebody that's part of your family or that's a friend or that you know here from church that you know well and you know they're going through some stuff and you just like march over to them and I just grab Sean and drag him to the altar and just like throw him down there. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Because even Sean and me, we're, we're brothers. We've been brothers for a long time. And if he was going through some stuff, I know him well enough to know where he needs to go to get whatever he's going through fixed. And I know him well enough that he, that I know that he would want me to take him there. And so to see, I see some of you guys do this sometimes, man, and it's beautiful. Just you go to somebody that you know needs to get to God and you do whatever it takes to get them there. You take them and sometimes drag them kicking and screaming to the altar. Like I said, do not do that to somebody you don't know. But if it's somebody you love and that loves you, man, drag them kicking and screaming to the altar, man. When you know that that's where they need to be. Or you've got those friends that'll send you that text message with that scripture on it at just the right moment. I mean, here you are teeter-tottering on the edge. And it's like, ding! It's like, okay, before I jump to my death, I better check this last text message, man. What's it say? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Okay. Maybe I'll get off the ledge, you know. I mean, you got those friends that just seem to show up just right at that exact right moment. Or, or, or my favorite one, man, are those friends that, that say, 
I'm praying for you. And you know that they mean it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you just came over with people. It's like, we're praying for you. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Ten to one odds. You have never bent a knee for me in your whole life. But then you've got those one people. Those one people that, that look you in the eyes and say, I'm praying for you. And you know that they are. And I'm telling you here today that that means more than anything. You know, there's kind of friends that'll come up to you and be like, how you doing? And you're like, I'm fine. And they're like, no, 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 no. You, you misheard what I was saying. I didn't say, how you doing? I said, how are you doing? Because they care enough to want to know. And also because they have the solution for you. Because they know where you need to go with whatever's going on in your life. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to get you there. Do you have friends like that? Friends that would come and, and pick up the four corners of your mat and carry you to Jesus. Friends that, that wouldn't give up at the first sign of resistance either. Because, I mean, look, the, these friends, and, and we got a lot of acquaintances that know where we need to go. Y'all need Jesus. And we do. And even friends that would try to tell you what you needed. Hey, you need Jesus. You, know, you need to come to church. You need to pray. You need to open your Bible. But at the first sign of resistance, they'd be like, Hands off, right? The first time that you said something snooty to them. The first time that you, you know, kind of try to push them away. The first sign of resistance, they give up. And that's just human nature. But these friends, they didn't give up. They didn't give up. They were willing to fight to get this guy to the Lord. They knew that he needed to, Je to get to Jesus. And they were willing to do anything and everything that they possibly could to get him there. I mean, it would have been easy for them to pack that mat and walk up to the door and be like, whew, man, we done carried you all the way across town. And now we can't even get in the door. I guess we're going to have to carry your butt by all the way back across town. Let's go. It's full. Tickets are sold out. Can't see the healer man tonight. Let's just sit him over there. It's just as good as where he was laying before. But they didn't do that. I mean, they could have promised they were going to come back tomorrow. They could have came and tried to live. They could have sit him down and tried to listen from a distance. Maybe we'll get some, like, shotgun blast healing over here. We catch the overflow. You know, maybe we'll catch the overflow. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And these friends, they, they loved this man so much that they were willing to do anything to get him to Jesus. Anything. And so these guys loved him so much that they made a way where there was no way. Who's that sound like? I think they were being Christ-like, huh? They made a way where there was no way. I mean, do you have friends like this? If you don't, you need some. And some of you are probably thinking, well, pastor, that's easier said than done. And people just aren't like that. It's probably easier than you think. You know, there's this old saying, and it says this. If you want to make a friend, then you got to be a friend. If you want to make a friend, be a friend. If, if you want to... Make a friend that will do anything and everything to get you to Jesus, then you need to be a friend that will do anything and everything to get the people in your life to Jesus. 
You need to be that friend that will take, go, go up and get somebody and take them to the altar. You need to be a friend that will send out that text message at just the right moment. You need to be a friend that will say that you're going to pray for somebody and mean it. You need to be a friend that's willing to go to somebody and say, what's going on in your life, man? Share with me so I can pray with you, so I can help you, so I can show you where you need to go. Man, if you want to make friends like that, you need to be a friend like that. That will do anything and everything to get the people that you care about, the people in your life, to Jesus. To Jesus. Because if we really love people, if we really love people, then we'll do anything to get them to Jesus. We'll take them through the crowd. We'll take them through the roof. We'll take them however we have to take them to get them there because that's all that matters. That's all that matters. We got to be willing to fight. So if you want friends like that, you need to be a friend like that. So they couldn't get in the front door because the crowd was just too big and they couldn't fight their way to the crowd with this big like, like mat, this bed that they were carrying this gentleman on. And so they, they went up on the roof of this building and literally tore the roof apart they literally dug in. There was like probably thatch and mud that it was all made out of. And they literally like dug this thing apart and broke it and started to destroy it so they could lay, lower this man down in there so he could just lay at the feet of Jesus. Now, I've had some pretty wild sermon interruptions in my life. <laughs> I mean, I have. I've had a toddler come running up to me and just jump into my arms. So I had to like carry him around and preach while I was holding him. Had no idea who the kid's parents were. Walking around preaching while I'm holding this kid. I, I, I had somebody's phone play Black Betty about 50 times in church one day. Black Betty, bam, blam. Black Betty had a child, bam, blam. And everybody in the church is going. Nobody will move. Never did find out who it was. If it was you, thanks. You gave me a good sermon illustration at least. Yeah. One day I had an alarm going off on somebody's phone, right? You know, not a phone call that would be over in a few minutes. I mean the alarm, like, nyeh, 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 nyeh. And finally I had to stop and be like, whose alarm is that? It was mine. In my coat on the front row. Fantastic. You know, on a more serious note, we've had, you know, somebody have a seizure and like pass out and like knock people over in the crowd and stuff. And Brent had to go over there and handle that situation. That was back at the convention center. That was a wild day. You know, we had Miss Brenda that had a health issue and was like passed out on the steps over here. That was a wild day. Uh, I've had somebody stand up and heckle me from the crowd and tell me to shut up and get off the stage one time. That was fun. I had two homeless guys get in a fight while I was preaching. That was a good day. You know, I've had a lot of really interesting sermon. You know, the power went out one day. That was great. When we were at the convention center, like I was in there preaching, all of a sudden everything went black. Okay. <laughs> what about five people saved that day, man? That was a good day. <laughs> See how quick it can be over. <laughs> you got to roll with the punches, you know? So I just have to wonder, as these people started tearing the roof off this building, if Jesus just looked at everybody and went, hey, it's okay. Look at me. I'm up here preaching the word of God. Don't pay any attention to that. I'll take care of that in a minute. Oh yeah, by the way, I'm not just preaching the word of God. I am the word of God. Eyes here. And I know this, man. I know that with my God, expecting the unexpected is huge. 
I mean, my God never does anything the right way, does he? I mean, he doesn't. I mean, they expected him to arrive like with a big parade and, and all kinds of you know, pomp and circumstance, but he was born in a manger. They expected him to come win the war against the forces of evil with a sword, but he won it with a nail. You know, they expected him to wear a crown of gold, but my Savior wore a crown of thorns. Can somebody say amen? amen. Yeah, give God praise for that because he's good. And he's always doing things in a very unexpected way. You could say he's a little unorthodox. And so I have to think that when he saw those guys tearing the roof off, he was like, yeah, these are my people. These are my people. These are my guys right here. Look at them doing anything, making a way where there's no way. Watch what I'm about to do. And so they lower him down at Jesus' feet. And, and the Bible says he says that he sees their faith. He sees their faith. Not that he hears about their faith. Not that he feels warm and fuzzy in his heart about their faith. No, 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 no. He sees their faith. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that we're saved by grace through faith alone. But I also know that faith without works is, do you want dead faith? I don't want dead faith. I want a living, active, viable faith that Jesus can see. And so the Bible says that Jesus sees their faith. And they lay this paralytic's mat down in front of him. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And right here's where most preachers say, but he didn't come to get his sins forgiven. He came to get his legs fixed. But the Bible doesn't say that. Read it. The Bible doesn't say that. Bible doesn't say that at all. Now, we assume that. Why do we assume that? Because that's what we would want. We look at this scripture and we're thinking, if my legs didn't work, I would want to go to this guy that's supposed to make the lame to walk again. Bible doesn't say that. The Bible just says that they brought him and laid him at the feet of Jesus and were willing to do anything that it took to get him there. How do we know that they weren't seeking the greater gifts? Why are we bringing these guys down to our level? How do we know that they didn't bring him there because they knew that he needed Jesus? Why was their faith so strong that they were willing to fight any battle and go against any obstacle and overcome anything to be able to get him to Jesus? I mean, I don't know, but I'm just hoping for the best. I'm just hoping for the best. But, but, but my question to you is this, man. Are you willing to forego the lesser things to seek the greater things? I mean, are you willing to, to put, put aside what's down here on our level and grasp out for what's up there on his level? Because I promise you this, two working legs are not going to help you if they walk you straight into hell. But the promise of eternity... The promise of eternity is so much more than any of these temporal things could ever be. You know, my Bible says our present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that is to come in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> my son, your sins are forgiven and he's already received everything that he could ever hope to receive. You know, we say this, that the man who has everything and not Jesus has nothing. But the man that has nothing and has Jesus has everything. And so he's already got everything that he could ever need. And you'll get this. I heard another pastor say this, but I'm going to steal it. It wasn't the friends that got this guy healing. They got him saved. It wasn't them that got him healing. It was the haters that got him healing. Because it was all of a sudden all these Pharisees and scribes over in the corner started thinking bad thoughts 
in their heart. Who the heck does this guy think he is? Blasphemy. How dare he say that he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And you know, they're right. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. But guess what? God is standing in the room with them right there. Just like God, the Holy Spirit's in this room with us right here. Because, you know, the guy didn't need his legs healed. But there were other people that could have healed his legs. This guy didn't need a change in his life, but there were other ways that his life could have been changed. But there was nobody, nobody else that could forgive his sins and save his soul and give him the promise of eternity. So watch what Jesus does. He says to the Pharisees, why are you guys thinking this stuff? And they had to be like, what? (laughs) They didn't say it out loud. They were just thinking it. Right now you're kind of convicted about some of the stuff you've been thinking about, huh? God knows. But guess what? He still loves you anyway. Because that's how good he is. But he says, why are you guys thinking this? Why are you guys thinking this? What's it easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and take up your mat and walk? Let me give you a little side note this morning. It's way easier for him to say, take your mat and get up and walk. Because you know what? For God to heal that man's legs cost him nothing. But for him to forgive that man's sins costs him everything. And so, once again, it's this flip-flop mentality. These guys think it's easy for, for him to say, your sins are forgiven. They think it would be this incredible miracle to tell him to get up and walk. But I'm telling you, the opposite is true. For Jesus Christ to say your legs are healed, do a dance. It's easy, it's child's play to him. But for him to say your sins are forgiven, he had to go and be nailed to a tree. He had to go and take those lashes. He had to go and suffer and die and bear the sins and the weight of all mankind so that we could be forgiven. But you know what? He did it. He did it. He did it. And so then he says, but just so you know, just so you know who it is that you're talking to, and just so you can see what has happened here, my son, get up, take up your mat, go home. And then they're interested. They're interested because they want to see what's going to happen. And then by obedience, this young man gets up, takes up his mat, and walks right out the door that he couldn't get in the first time. You know why? Because when you experience the power of God, you can enter and exit into places that you could have never thought about going before. Can you say amen? Right in front of everybody. And you'll go right out the way that you could have never made it in. Because he's got a purpose in his life. And you know what? You've got a purpose in your life. And these four guys had a purpose in their life. And you know what? If they had not completed the purpose they had in their life, then the paralyzed man could have never walked out the purpose that he had in his life. Huh. God, help us to carry those that need to be carried to you so that they can carry from you what they need to carry from you wherever you would tell them to go. 
In Jesus' name, amen. They had a purpose. Their purpose was to get this man to God, whatever the cost. Right? Whatever the cost. Their purpose was to carry him to God. And they were willing to do whatever it took to live that purpose out in their lives. And that's what they did. Even if they had to carry him all the way across town. Even if they had to go and climb up on a roof to, to avoid the crowd and tear a hole in a roof, destroy somebody's property. They think it was probably Peter's house. Because the, the book of Mark was, is the story of Peter as he told it to Mark. And he's worried about the roof. But in the book of Luke, it doesn't even mention the roof. And so I think Peter was like, it tore up my roof, man. But these guys had a purpose. And they fulfilled their purpose so that this paralyzed man could fulfill his purpose. Now, what was his purpose? Well, I'll tell you. It was to enrage the critics. It was to engage the critics. And it was to amaze the critics. You see, when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, everybody that was watching, they got angry. They got enraged. They were so mad they couldn't stand it. And then when Jesus said, son, get up your mat, take up your mat and walk, they were engaged. They had to lean in to see if it was really going to happen or not. And then by his obedience, when he got up and did what God had called him to do, they were amazed. And they said, oh my God, we've never seen anything like this in our life. And they began to believe. Same thing's going to happen in your life. Same thing. When you get to Jesus, and you'll get there, because we'll carry you. Won't we, church? Say, we'll carry you. We will carry you to Jesus. So when you get to Jesus, when you get there to his feet, and we'll do whatever it takes to get you there. So if you're around us very long, you will get there. You will. I don't care if we have to tear the roof off this whole place, which we can do that now, by the way, but I'll talk about that in a minute. I don't care what we have to do. We'll get you there. And when you get to Jesus and you believe that he's the living God and you surrender yourself to him, you know what he's going to do? He's going to forgive you. And he's going to save you. And he's going to give you eternity because that's what he does. And it doesn't matter what you've done. And it doesn't matter what's been done to you. And it doesn't matter where you've come from. And it doesn't matter the people that you've been around. And it doesn't matter if you've done one sin or umpteen million like me. When you get there to his feet and you cry out to him, Lord, help me. He will forgive you and he will save you and he will heal you and he will set you free. And he'll make you a child of God and he'll restore you and he'll resurrect you. And he will bring you to life because that's what he does. And people will be enraged. Won't they? People out there will be so mad. Now, some people will be so glad. Your grandma that's been praying for you for 25 years, she'll probably never a greater blessing in her life. Your mama that will do anything to get you to come to church, never a greater blessing in her life that you give your life to Christ. But there's going to be some out there that are going to be angry. All those people that liked you where you were, angry. All those people that liked doing all that sin with you, angry. The people that felt better about their life because of where you were in your life, angry. The people that you legitimately did something wrong to that wanted to see you hurt for it. Angry. Angry. They're going to be mad because you now you, you've done all this bad in your life and now you just came to Jesus and now you've been forgiven. Ah! They'll be like Jonah, right, in the Old Testament. Jonah, you know, God was like, go preach to the Ninevites so they can be saved. And Jonah was like, no, I don't want to. Because I know you're a God of grace and I know you'll save them. I know you'll have mercy on them, and I don't want them to have mercy. And that's how people will feel about you when you find yourself forgiven. But then, 
when he heals you, when he delivers you, when he begins to sanctify you, they'll be engaged. They'll be like, what's going on in their life? There'll be Facebooks talking you like, I'm going to look them up on the Facebook. They'll be asking people about you. They'll be like, y'all see what Sean was doing over there? Yeah. What about Pookie? I heard that she got her life right. I heard she turned things around. They'll be engaged. They'll be watching. And then when they see... When, that, when that, that healing starts to manifest in your life, and when they see, when they see that all of a sudden you're a, a blessing to your family and friends instead of a curse, when they see those pictures of you down at 615 handing out sleeping bags to the homeless, when they see you coming to addiction meeting on Friday night to lead people to Jesus, when they see you giving your testimony up here on this very stage, when they see you begin to live out this forgiveness that God already gave you on the front end, then all of a sudden they will be amazed at what God has done in your life. And then they'll be even more amazed at what God has begun to do through your life. And then they'll say to people, I've never seen anything like this before in my whole life. Yeah, man, give God praise for that for sure. He deserves it. That's my story. Enrage, engage, and then amaze. And then amaze. That's who he is. That's what he does. His friend, their friend couldn't get to Jesus, so they made a way where there was no way. Man, with friends like these, you don't need much else. You know, the old saying goes, with friends like these, who needs enemies? But with friends that are willing to do whatever it takes to get you to God, there's not much else you need in your life. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is everything that you need. Because you know what? None of us could get to God. None of us. None of us could get to God. None of us could. There was no way to get there. It it didn't matter how much good that you did. Because my righteousness is but filthy rags. It didn't matter, matter how little bad that you did. Because like I said, you know how many sins it takes for you to split hell wide open? One. That's why, that's why I argue all the time with people that say that you can lose your salvation. Because if you can lose your salvation, you know how many sins it takes? One. Because if you've broken one point of the law, you've broken the whole law. Broken the whole law. There's not enough good you can do to get to God. There's not enough, there's not a, enough little bad that you can do to get to God. You cannot get to God on your own. And so that's why our best friend... You know, that one that sticks closer than a brother. You know, the one that said there is no greater love than that a man would lay his life down for his friends and then he went and did it because he meant it. He made a way. He made a way. 
where there was no way. You know, the book of John in chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, I'm the door. I wonder if he was thinking about this moment where those guys couldn't get through the door, so they made a hole in the roof. And so he said, I'm the door. I'm the door. Whoever comes in by me will be saved. And then they can go in and they can go out and they'll find pasture. That's freedom, baby. Because, you know, the people of God can go places that we never dreamed about going and do things that we never even imagined that we would be doing. Ain't that right? We can all of a sudden carry what used to carry us. Because that's what the power of God does.